0: you get a monthly mastermind exclusively. It's a Zoom call every month with other YouTube members. Uh, you also get weekly videos exclusive to the YouTube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences. So check that out, really means a lot to me. And thank you so much again for listening and enjoy the show. Nation. I got Amon Rivera on. Guru Nation, his LinkedIn and website is underneath this video. And if you're listening, thank you very much. In the show notes, he's a fellow YouTuber, fellow podcaster. I actually discovered him a few months ago. He's a recruiter as well for these small to mid-sized biotechs and CROs. You guys know I love love me some small biotechs, and I love me some small CROs. I think small is the new big. I like me some small sites too, guys. Everybody. Everybody goes for the large names, you know, the household names. Oh, I wanna work for Ikevia. I wanna work for Pfizer. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, Ammon, but I think the the small companies are kind of where it's at and it was so nice finding you on YouTube because I was looking up an interview I did with Brian Culley, the CEO of Lineage Cell Therapeutics because a client was asking me like, Hey, where's that interview you did? So I, I don't have them saved. So I had to search for it just like you guys would. And I found mine, but I also found yours. I mean, <laughs> so, um, it was nice to see a fellow YouTuber interviewing these biotech CEOs out there. Uh, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Yeah. It's great to be here, Dan. I like, uh, like you said, I run a, a YouTube channel and a podcast uh, you know, truth be told to all your listeners out there, my YouTube channel is is not, you know, popping yet, right? It's it's pretty new. But um, I launched the podcast a couple of years ago. So um if you you know if any of you like to listen to long form podcasts, I've got some great interviews, over 60 interviews out there, um with uh, with CEOs, leaders of biotech, small biotech companies. And you know, hey, I've done some business with IQBA before as a recruiter. I actually okay. have have helped place a Couple contractors there before and their drug safety team, but uh, but yeah, I would say definitely I like that term "small is the new big." There's so much innovation taking place within the small biotech companies, and they're really making some progress. There's a lot of ways being made by small biotech, and you know
0: it's just it's a very interesting topic. And it's fast. Like the thing about these smaller companies is you can progress, like you can grow with them, and they're growing at a faster rate. So logically, you know, your career will also grow at a faster rate if you stick with them. This, the inverse is also true. I mean, they could fail at a faster rate. The mm-hmm. problem is you won't fail at a faster rate also because you're gaining experience this whole time. And unless you're working for a company like Theranos, where you basically get a scarlet letter for working with them, I mean, that's extremely rare. You're, even if they fail, your career is still growing and your responsibilities are also climbing. So now you can go to another company and just keep doing the whole thing, right?
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned Theranos. for For those of you in the <laughs> diagnostics world, uh, you you have to deal with something like that, right? But
0: did you do you recruiting know, for Theranos? <laughs> no,
1: I did, I did not do any recruiting for Theranos. Uh, I actually tend to work more with drug development companies. So you know, the diagnostic side of the world, I do have some clients in diagnostics, um, but they also have a drug development side of their business, the therapeutic side, which they're they're really focused on growing. But but yeah, I, yeah, it's. You know, I think a career in biotech right now for individuals looking to to move up, you know, there's so many avenues you can go, right? You've got the regulatory affairs side, you've got the clinical operations side, which would tie very well into the clinical research side of things. You've got the preclinical work that needs to be done. Um, and, you know, that a lot of clinical research uh, background is very, very important in that area. And then you have the medical side of things, you have clinical development, you have pharmacovigilance and drug safety, and then pharmacovigilance and drug safety. You have the medical side and the operational side, which is interesting because you find RNs, you find you know um, uh, pharmacists that, that go into that side of things. And then you usually find physicians, obviously going into the medical side of that. So, and that's just a few of the functions. Those are the main functions I've spent my career so far in, in recruiting in biotech in the areas that I've recruited on. So it's, um, they're moving quickly. And, you know, what's interesting is that Usually large pharmaceutical organizations do want to create partnerships with these. Sometimes they come in and want to outright buy and take over an organization. But what I've seen, for example, in, in the case with Brian Cully and Lineage Cell Therapeutics, is that they've been able to still maintain the, the the sponsorship of the clinical trial or the asset, and at the same time do a partnership with a larger organization that's able to infuse cash, you know, versus going the VC route. Right now, they're partnering with a larger organization that has that background. So it's definitely uh, um, not just lucrative for for long-term career development, but um, for career development period, it's a great place to be, I think.
0: Yeah, it is. I know somebody who, she's a good friend of the show. Um, She went from study coordinator at a small site to a small biotech, and they actually hired a big CRO to do the whole monitoring of the study. And this is a girl who wanted to be a CRA forever. Mm -hmm. And now she's like the boss of those people without ever having been those people because she's at the sponsor side. So sponsor pays the bills, right? Like Mm -hmm. none of the CRAs at the CRO necessarily care or even ask her like, Oh, what's your credentials? That's not how it works. You know, you're the sponsor. You're telling them what to do, and so it's that example right there. Kind of illustrates like this whole "small is the new big" thing. I mean, I I really think it's like a hack to grow your career quickly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I have so many questions from candidates. um They love when I get recruiters on. So I got some unique candidates. I got one. I have a lot of international medical graduates, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Well, let's start with them maybe first because it's a large segment of the audience. What do you think, like an IMG, do you see biotechs or CROs looking for these kind of people?
1: Absolutely, I do.
0: Um,
1: What I see, though, is it's their experience that they have that allows them to flourish within the biotech world. You know, sponsors... In a perfect world, the sponsor, so for example, let's say you're working with an oncology, you know, a company developing oncology treatments. They want a U.S.-trained oncologist, right? And in some situations, they may need that, right? But usually that's going to be, especially as the leadership levels get higher and higher, they're they're definitely going to put an emphasis, right? But I have worked with plenty of, of international medical graduates, physicians especially, on the drug safety and pharmacovigilance side of things. Right, where they're reviewing serious adverse events, adverse events. They're doing the ICSR reports. They're learning then how to do signal detection. They're learning how to then do uh, aggregate reporting. You know, DSURs, PSURs, these kinds of things. And uh, and they become very valuable because that medical background doesn't matter where it's from, right? As long as they're a physician and they know how to evaluate a patient from a medical standpoint, it's valuable to a biotech company um, or 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 a Pharmaceutical organization, even larger organizations. So, I would definitely say that they do um, look for that. But what they really look for, though, is experience, mm-hmm. right? And um, and so you've got to figure out how you can maybe pivot your career from being maybe if you're on a site, you're doing clinical site management, to figuring out how you can pivot into gaining some of these skills that a sponsor would look for in a in someone that's an international medical graduate.
0: Yeah. Do you? Th- how important is it? transferable skills i mean you just said you know experience at the end of the day is what matters i completely agree problem is a lot of people watching they don't have that experience right but they do have the education they might be imgs they might be phds do they have to take a pay cut initially in or like a step backwards they go two steps forward or are transferable skills enough for them to maybe get lucky and get their first shot somewhere
1: yeah that's a good question and you know i don't I don't want to be the definitive voice on this right or the very bad news yes you are the
0: <laughs>
1: I will tell you from my experience working with with sponsors is that they get very picky and the transferable skills those will show up great when you get the opportunity in the company to show them what you can do but I have had plenty of sponsors say no 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 no. I need, depending on the level of position, yeah. I need somebody that already has this particular experience. And here's why. Because if I hand them this project, I need to know that they're going to be able to just pick it up and run with it, right? So then the question becomes, how do I gain those skills necessary to move into the other, into the next organization? Mm-hmm. And then you start getting into what level are you at, right? If, if you, you know, and you know, look, salaries are, you know, income wise, right? I I'm I'm gonna go to that because you are know, taking the pay cut, salaries in a small biotech company are you know, they're up there right now. You even know? right and if now, and yeah. okay. Even right now. We're in an interesting time. That's another topic, I guess, which is <laughs> you got a bear market in biotech stocks, right? Essentially
0: getting uh, crushed. I got one of them on my <laughs> Apple Watch. It reminds me every day. Look, it's worse today. AQST. <laughs> Equestive, have you worked with them? A Equestive, uh, a they have this oral film for Libervant for um, acute epilepsy, which is, has supposed to have been FDA approved since last year, and for some reason, it just they keep delaying that.
1: No, I, I actually haven't worked with them. Yeah. The, I, but going back to, to what I was saying is that I noticed that a lot of these companies they have they have their runway secured. Many of them do, right? And they're saying, "Look, in order to get to here, data is king. In order to get the data that I need, I need to hire these people to be able to do that. I have the funding now. We'll cross the bridge to get more when we get there. So they're still hiring, right? They're still moving forward. They're still and and there's money accessible, maybe not at the most favorable terms, but there's some, right? And uh, so yeah, definitely, I see a good amount of hiring going on uh, amongst." across the board with biotech organizations
0: that's actually good news to hear from somebody like in the trenches basically day-to-day dealing with these biotech companies i make Um, a living off hiring
1: so man believe me (laughs) i'm watching it because i'm like if i see a dip in recruiting well obviously i see a dip in my own personal income so
0: yeah so what you're saying is basically kind of what i think or i thought intuitively is like the money, the studies that they've already planned, they already have that budget. If they're going to make cuts, it's going to be future studies or other things that were on on hold that maybe are going to be delayed. But the stuff they already had planned, there's still, still a runway for that. Yeah, it's
1: absolutely, it, you know, it's not that's now that's not to say that maybe they won't make some cuts. Maybe they won't scale back. Maybe the original plan was to hire three people and now they're only going to do two or maybe they're only going to do one, depending on the size of the company for that specific uh, function. But, you know, yes, they're definitely still moving forward, definitely still hiring. And um, it's an interesting time, like I said, because I think, again, I'm not a definitive voice on this. I'm not a, you know, a savvy, perfect investor in the world of biotech, but I personally believe that um, that when we see the rebound of stocks, that the, de- the the depressed nature of the biotech stocks is gonna go it's gonna shoot up.
0: I hope because so, I man. I don't
1: I don't think the activity that's happening within these companies is reflecting the value of the stocks. Is I guess the way I should have put that.
0: Yeah, I mean the the intrinsic value of these companies. I mean I have to I look at my Apple Watch every day. It's looking. Ugly, like I just got used to it now. I wake up, I look at okay, this thing's down again, Mm -hmm. like it's just like another day. (laughs) Yeah, um, all right, super interesting. Okay, let's switch gears a little bit. Like, recruiter, okay, Mm -hmm. that you're a recruiter, you love candidates, but let's be honest, a company doesn't hire you to bring them potential, like. They don't hire you to bring like a diamond in their rough They say, okay, well, this guy doesn't have experience, but trust me, like they're a go-getter. They're going to do well for you. The reason biotechs or CROs hire you, the recruiter, is they have somebody in mind and they want you to find that person. And they usually give you like a rigid framework, right? Like experience is not negotiable in those cases.
1: Yes. I'm not hired to find Aladdin, Um, you know, (laughs) as a reference to Disney, you guys, now that kind of lets you know what era I grew up in, right? He was the diamond in the rough. Um, We definitely, I definitely will work with those, but absolutely, you know, I'll give you an example. I'm working on a position right now that's confidential search, so I won't share the detail of of the company and all that, but they have a need for a strong preclinical development leader um, that has experience doing work not just in in vitro, but in in vivo. They need somebody that has experience, not necessarily being the main person on an IND team, but being part of that and doing significant portions of the preclinical side of the IND. And so there's it's just not negotiable for this company to find somebody that they say has great potential that they can train up. It's just the nature of this yeah. particular organization, right? They're a, they're, they're a early stage company they're small when it comes to the world of you know drug development, um, and so they're just not able to say, "Yeah, we've got great potential here, and we'll spend time training them up." Now, that's not to say that they don't do that with other positions, but this particular role, me being an, an executive recruiter that is being hired to find the right person for the job, I'm looking for a person that has those skills. And usually those are people that they're not looking for a job necessarily, right? They've got their nose to the grind. They're doing a great job where they're at. And my job as a recruiter is to find that person and pull them out. That being said, you know, it doesn't mean that I don't work with people that are actively looking for a job. I I do that often,
0: so. The reason I bring that up is um, for two reasons. Number one, I think you guys, recruiters, get a lot of hate unnecessary hate from candidates who quite frankly are not qualified enough to be worth your time. I hate to put it that way. They're not qualified enough for you to be like, you know what? Okay. Like I'm going to put you in front of this client. You might see the potential. You might like the good recruiters will still cultivate that relationship over the years. Mm -hmm. Right. And maybe even coach them and, hey take this job first and then when you're ready like in a year hit me up because there might be another one for you so i get a lot of candidates that are not so qualified to reach out say you know i emailed like 10 recruiters they all ignored me and it's like well they're in a business for themselves like their client told them they don't want people like you okay so that's number one i want to like shield you guys a little bit because you guys get a lot of flack number two that doesn't mean that if you're a candidate that is not qualified that you still can't find a way it's just the recruiter might not be the best way but if you find a good one then you can start building those relationships but you can go directly to some of these biotechs and show them because now when they hire you it's a little less it's a little more risk free for them because they don't have to pay somebody to find a diamond in the rough, right? Like in mm-hmm. Aladdin, like you said. So that's why I bring that up. I wanted to get your thoughts on what I just said. Am I off base or, or what? No,
1: I think, uh, so there's, there's a couple of things that I think I want to focus on with what you just commented on. So I will say there are definitely recruiters in the industry that, need to learn how to communicate better. Right. And what I think a lot of people don't understand is third from the third party recruiters, even internal recruiters, internal recruiters are generally swamped and overwhelmed. They're not just finding people. They've got all this other, other things that the client wants them to do. Like I, I contracted myself to an organization once and said, look, instead of paying me a traditional you know, the traditional way that I would work with the client and I only work one position for you. Let's let's work out a number of hours a week and an hourly rate and I'll work as a contractor for you and I'll recruit on multiple positions for you. And I got an opportunity to see what the internal recruiters, you know, the individuals working for a talent acquisition team inside of a company. What they deal with and it's rough. There's a lot going on. They're expected to do all these things, and then you know, depending on how the leader is in that organization, they might be saying, "Where's my candidates? Where's my candidates? Where my candidates?" And they're going, "You got? I got five jobs. I'm recruiting on. Like I can only do so much on each one, right?" So that's number one on the internal. The external recruiters, the third party recruiters. Most people don't understand. There's different setups, right? There's different ways that these recruiters do business. There's your traditional. Uh, your your traditional contingent search, which is like, hey, if I make a placement for you, you pay me 20 to 30%, whatever the fee is. And like, that's the risk I'll take. And the client says, well, if I don't have to pay anything at all upfront, front, fantastic. Um, but what ends up happening is that individual is going to now try and it's going to always be looking for a new thing and always be looking to spend their time with where they feel they've got the best chance. So what ends up happening is they may submit a few people in the beginning, but then after a certain period of time, they kind of move on because they need to try and get a placement. And then you have uh, recruiters that kind of work in the middle, which is like a hybrid, which is generally where I work, right? Maybe they do an engagement fee with the client, which is something that I'll do. Maybe they do an exclusivity and then still do the contingent model, but it's like, hey, client, you're going to give me you know, such and such amount of time of exclusivity where I'm the only recruiter working your job. Right. And that justifies the time spent. And then you have the full retained search individuals, which are like, you know, only I'll take my payment up front. And even if I'm unsuccessful, I still get paid and and all of that. So why I share that is because it, those recruiters, it also affects how they work with the candidates, which is, You've got candidates reaching out about jobs and these recruiters are going, I've got, you know, five jobs I'm working on and this individual may not be the fit for one of those jobs. And then they don't even think to develop a relationship with them. So I would say, I appreciate the shielding, but we also do need to get better at, at uh, communicating. That's for sure. So I know oh, I'm taking for
0: Sure. We, we, <laughs> I won't argue that either. Like we've had plenty of videos bashing recruit actually a guy i gotta introduce you to this guy robert goldman um but yeah we <laughs> we he he always sends me like recruiters blind messaging him like jobs that are like five levels below what he's doing now so he's like these guys clearly didn't take the time to- right Learn about me. They're just doing some blast email. We we make plenty fun of recruiters. I wanted to use this to like give you guys some some props. Like, there's two sides to every story. It's not like you guys are all bad and shady and just like going for a quick buck. Because I know that's not true.
1: Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah, that's that that's funny that you would say that because that just tells me right there that those those individuals are probably just pulling a list of like names. And just sending out a blast without actually looking at the person. And that all yep. obviously tells me they probably got a bunch of things they're working on. They're just
0: spaghetti. What's Exactly, exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Okay, so the good news then is biotech still hiring. CROs are still hiring. Mm-hmm. Small, medium, large, doesn't matter. They're still hiring. There's still. A, is there still a shortage right now in October 2022 in our space? Yes,
1: there still is a shortage. Um, I will say that, uh, it's, it's lessened a little bit because there have recently, especially, and it depends which market you're in. Do you live in San Diego? Do you live in San Francisco? Are you on the East coast? Are you somewhere, you know, in the middle of the country? Are you in Dallas where there's kind of a budding market going on? Where is it
0: super hot right now? Like right now, like in the country?
1: I would say San Francisco, I I would say the three main hubs are going to be Boston, San Francisco. san diego at least for me this is what i've seen the clients that i've worked with that that, where there's been the hardest challenges hiring is definitely there and for those of you that live in like random areas especially from the cro side of things there's definitely a lot of opportunity if you're in florida even in kansas there's an organization that reached out to me that was like we are struggling they do like bioprocess analysis i think Um, They are struggling so hard. It's because their location, but they're established and they can't move. Right. Mm. They're just experiencing so much growth from so many companies needing, you know, reaching out. So, yeah, I would say now, again, depending on your market, because even in the San Diego market, I do a lot of work there. um, You've got a few organizations that have recently either sold and they're laying off all their force, the new organizations laying off all their force like uh BMS took over T uh TP Therapeutics I think turning point and mm-hmm. and um they're they announced that they're laying off like the entire company basically um and then you have companies that have failed and so that creates a flood of of individuals into the market but I, it's still it's not like we've seen so many layoffs that there's there's you know it's gone this way there's still a shortage
0: yeah uh, um there's another kind of demo that watches it's experienced researchers so CRAs CTMs pharmacovigilance people all kinds they're kind of they feel stuck in their current job maybe they've been in the same role like five ten years and they haven't explored the market but they might be watching and say well you know what like maybe I'm looking for a change Something happened with COVID. Like everybody, it made everyone want to look for a change, right? Yeah. And uh, recruiters are having a field day because everybody wants to switch roles right now. So, what would you, what would your advice be to these people? Like, you know, I've been in PV at a CRO for seven years, and maybe I can like upgrade what I do at a biotech somewhere, like a small mm-hmm. biotech. What, what is your advice for like someone like that?
1: Yeah. So. Um, this is, this is a good question. It goes, it'll let me answer one of the, or one of the questions you had earlier that we didn't get, we didn't get to because I'm talking, I talk so much sometimes, but, um, okay. So number one is if you're in a CRO and let's say you're in PV, you definitely have not just transferable skills, but you definitely have skills that directly coincide with what the biotech company needs. The challenges there are that the sponsor company is going to go, yeah, you've worked at a CRO, but your the the depth that you maybe have to do in, in PV is not going to be the same. Okay. So volume is going to be number one. Um number two is going to be how you present yourself, how you sell yourself. And then number three is going to be is there anything you can do that will um that will beef up your current skills. Like, can I go to Solier's and, you know, get a, get some training in drug safety in pharmacovigilance, right? Can I go to, uh, um, wow, the name just just slipped my mind right now, but uh, there's, you know, schools that offer, uh, you know, certificates in, in drug development and clinical research, right? These things, can I do, can I add something? Is it worth the cost? Can I maybe add something like that and then be able to kind of beef that up? So what I want to go to is point number two, which is how you sell yourself. So when you are, uh, one thing I will do as a recruiter, and I'll share my secrets here. One thing I will do as a recruiter is if I find a really good candidate, I'll have a great conversation with that person. And I'll write down, I'll take notes on them. And I have specific questions that I ask. And that, uh, that allows me to pull marketable information out of that person. Hmm. And then I will put that marketable information into an email with bullet points, highlighting that about this person. Hmm. And then I will confidentially market that person to my clients that may not even have a job opening. And I will say, I have an individual with these types of qualifications. Here's some great things that they've accomplished. And I notice your company is at this stage. Could you use somebody like this? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that I get is, hey, I'm not hiring right now, but in a couple of months, we might be follow up with me or I am looking for somebody right now um, or the people that don't respond. Why I share that is because I think if clients or, or excuse me, if candidates could learn how to identify their marketable skills and then put that in a in, in a way to present themselves in a way that, you know, that's the first thing that people see, especially hiring managers they're going to be able to get that opportunity to talk. They're going to be able to get that opportunity to share their background and overcome some of that hurdle of going from CRO to sponsor. Right. Or I shouldn't say this way. It's more like, you know, this way, just Mm -hmm. different. Right. Yeah. Hopefully that helps some people.
0: No. Yeah, it's definitely. And I think it gives people like some optimism because I've always like been amazed. Like you've been in this industry seven, 10 years you have no reason to complain like that. You're not happy with your employer. You're <laughs> we're in like a, such a high demand industry. Like you don't need to be wasting your time someplace. You're not happy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it just baffles. Like, why do you think candidates stay? Like, is it just complacency or fear? Or Like why? Security. Huh?
1: You know, Fair enough. they they're, they're afraid to to make a change. I've had candidates turned down. I've had I've reached out to people that um, that say, "Yeah, I'm interested," and then I I share the job with them. They go do some research on the company. Well, this is a small biotech company. Their stock's not even worth a dollar. I don't want to. I don't want to go to that company. And it's like, well, did you evaluate all of the other things going on with this company did you evaluate what it is that they're doing did you look at their pipeline did you look at the established what they have now and where they're headed and what I find is that there are certain people that just say I want to work for large pharma or large CRO or wherever I'm at that I'm comfortable I know they're stable I'm not going to have to you know I'm not worried about them going under and so they want that security Mm. That may be part of it. The other thing is, too, is, I mean, some people, they don't like change. And even though there may be some things that they're just unhappy with, they can't stand, they're just used to it. And they don't want to have to rebuild new connections,
0: relationships, yeah. those kinds of
1: things. You know, That
0: brings up a good point. I don't know which business guru coined this term, intrapreneur. So like an entrepreneur, but you work for someone else. Mm-hmm. But as somebody like... You you've interviewed like so many biotechs over the last two years, small biotechs. Do you think the smaller companies value intrapreneurs like those two kind of um, get attracted to one another, and then as the company gets bigger, they want just more managers and like less of that entrepreneurial quality? As somebody that studies these companies' culture, do you find yeah. any like uh, commonalities? That's a good
1: question. And I don't know that I have a direct answer for you. I, I know I probably have my opinion. Um, but that's an interesting thing to think about. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever really thought about that uh, from that aspect. I mean, you probably know this in general, as companies do develop and become more stable and VC steps in and starts to say, "Okay, we've got to manage things from this perspective Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. I would say that's probably generally the case, but it probably comes down to the leaders who's in the organization. What type of organization is it? Do they want to stay small? Do these do they want to get midsize and stay that way? So yeah. Um, I don't know that I could give you a definitive <laughs> answer, right?
0: I remember a monitor. I mean, I have my opinions too. Uh, Like, I think the smaller companies tend to attract the entrepreneurs. I think they do better at the smaller companies. So I had a, all my examples are anecdotal, but I had a former monitor of mine. It was a small biotech and we've worked with this biotech for like seven years. We watched them become a big company and then they got acquired by a giant household name. So this lady was with them the whole time. And when they got acquired, at the end of the seven years, she's like, I'm retiring. These new guys came in, the whole company culture has changed, and we've, we're we now officially Big Pharma. Mm. <laughs> so it's anecdotal, but um, yeah, I think that's like, there's something there.
1: It's hard with large pharma. Silos. Uh, in a, I'm not knocking large pharma. If anybody ever listens to this, I'm be, I'm serious. I'm not knocking them. It just depends what you want to do. Right. As yeah. a recruiter, look, I'm going to look as a as a as an executive recruiter, third party recruiter, you know, as an entrepreneur myself, you know, I. I don't really work with large pharmaceutical organizations because they have a million layers and processes and things that make it hard for me as a recruiter to work directly with a hiring manager i've gotten on the phone with hiring managers at large trauma organizations that say i we are struggling to fill this position if you could bring me candidates that would be amazing but you got to talk to hr and the talent acquisition team and especially with the larger organization that creates challenges and uh so likewise you know i've dealt with clients that say You know, I really need somebody that has small biotech experience because if they're a VP or a senior director or a director with, say, Pfizer, not knocking Pfizer, I think I had their vaccine. Um, The, uh, you know, the, the silos that can be created in all the processes and all the, you know, it's like you have to do it like this, like this, like this, like this. Now, of course, that's not necessarily that it's always like that in every department, but generally I think, yeah, it's, it's probably the case.
0: Yeah. Uh, It's, I mean, we definitely, we're going to have to do like multiple parts to this interview because we haven't even gotten into the biz dev, like how you use LinkedIn, how I use LinkedIn. I think we'll maybe save that for part two, like. And I don't know if you want to come on for that one, because in a way you're like teaching people how you're finding your clients, which could theoretically be their people watching as employees. But I think it's interesting. I still think I think people here's why I think that would be a good one. Um, People don't appreciate the work that a job recruiter does. Like they just they see you like a candidate sees you when you already have a client right? But for you, that's like the easy part of the work. The hardest part is getting the clients interested in you. So I don't think candidates appreciate the amount of work it actually takes to cultivate these relationships. So when we, I don't want to oversimplify it by saying, "Hey, just go on LinkedIn and message these CEOs of these biotechs and maybe you'll get lucky. Although that strategy might work, (laughs) you never know. Mm -hmm. And it's free. Um, So I think we should do something like that when you have time. Like maybe we'll do a part two of how you find clients, how I find clients. There's one tool I use, ZymeWire. I don't know if you you use ZymeWire before. I get nothing from them, but uh, Z-Y-M-E, you can find... Yeah, it's really good, actually. You you can find, yeah, it's a paid product. I don't remember how much we pay. We give it to Julie, who does our biz dev now. That's how we find studies, like, for our clients. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot of work. It's not just, like, going to Zymewire, and then, like, you still have to reach out. It's just, like, it takes one of the layers off. Like, instead of clinicaltrials.gov, you use this other tool instead. Um, But clinicaltrials.gov is free, and anybody can use it. And you can Mm -hmm. find, I mean, Man, you can find phone numbers of some of these like h- hiring managers on clinicaltrials.gov. They don't want you to know that, but they're out there. So, I think we can do like <laughs> a little, hi- little We can clunky. do a whole thing on that. We can yeah. do a whole episode on just like bizdev, how you go about finding clients. I can tie it into how I go about finding a new study for one of my sites and cuz in many ways we are going kind of after the same people from different Perspective like we have different objectives, but at these smaller companies, maybe there's only a dozen people like we're probably reaching out to the same people,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do another one and talk about it I mean, yeah, I mean some people might say, oh well, you're sharing your secrets, right but at the end of the day i I know there's gonna be people that will probably run with some of that and make make good things happen and good for them um and then there you know most people though will realize that the amount of persistency and like work that it takes for me to generate a client is, is it's quite a bit. Yeah. And it's different for me because I'm not somebody looking to get hired at a job right now. Right. Um, sometimes that's the case. If I have a, as I mentioned, like a candidate that I'm marketing, but I've had individuals that I've worked on contacting and marketing to, to find a job. They reach out to me six months after is no communication.
0: Wow. Yeah, it happens. It happens. Or
1: uh hey, yeah, we're gonna be needing your help soon, you know, and you 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 do meetings, you do phone calls, you get all this work, and then uh the client says, but it's in three months when I need it. Right. So imagine being a candidate. You're like, ah, but it's me as a recruiter, it's like I need to figure out how can I keep that relationship cultivated because when they yeah. do need help, I'll be there.
0: Yeah. Same thing as a site owner. We have a lot of similarity. I'm glad we did this interview, Amin, because we have so many so much in common like on the biz dev side. Like I'm a site owner, I'm looking for studies. I'm often going to these small biotechs. And sometimes I have a conversation, like I've had Zooms with some of these biotech uh, VPs of clinical operations and they say, Hey, you know what? We are looking for sites, but we're not really starting till twelve months from now. Mm-hmm. But it, but in six months from now, we can do feasibility. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a win. Like, yes, that's great. But like somebody who's not into the research site business, they're like, oh, six, 12 months. I need to study right now. So, it's a lot of work. Like, we can give away the secret sauce because there is no secret sauce. The hustle is sold separately. So, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about that. <laughs> I
1: like that. That's
0: good. Yeah.
1: And I'll have to have you on the show, too. I think, uh, you know, for your listeners, if you ever want to check out Biotech IQ, yes. I know you talk about links. I have uh, the Biotech IQ podcast.com. I know it's going to long. Um, I'm working on building out Biotech IQ.com, but the Biotech IQ podcast.com, you can find me on LinkedIn. Reach out to me. I do try to pump out content. Um, you could also follow our company page on LinkedIn. But I uh, would love to have you come on Biotech IQ and uh, you know put some information of, of what you do. Man. You know, so
0: absolutely. And I just subscribed on Spotify to Biotech IQ, and we'll have the links underneath for Amon's LinkedIn and the website. So everybody, go check that out. Thank you so much, Ammon, for coming on. Real appreciate it. It's always nice to get a job recruiter that is transparent and, um, hardworking. (laughs) Go go figure. (laughs) Much appreciated, Dan. Thank you. Thank you everyone for watching. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Bye-bye.